Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Okay, we're good to go. Yeah. Oh, I, lit- I literally just got something in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm not ready. <laughs> no. Okay. Every, I swear, every time, every time we're actually ready to start recording, something with my body just goes wrong. It's a sneeze, it's a cough, it's my throat, now it's my eye. My body's physically protesting this podcast. I think you could call that stage fright in a way, <laughs> but I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not a doctor, so I can't really diagnose this. Stage fright. No, I'm ready. I mean, I'm actually like not ready for this one, but <laughs> I'm ready for our podcast and I'm ready to talk with you and everything. See, this is the one episode that I feel like very ready for because I have a yes. lot of opinions on this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I mean, I definitely have feelings. Um, I just, I literally did nothing for this one. <laughs> As someone who's watched, you know, the best two years for so many years, um, I'm I'm technically ready. I just didn't do anything for this. So thank goodness this is a partnership we've got going on because we switched places. Usually you're the one that has like 15 pages of notes and I have right? like four paragraphs. So <laughs> yes, it works. It's, it's got it. Yes, there is give and take here. <laughs> and I'm taking full advantage of that when I can. Uh, okay. So before we do that, corrections corner. Yes. We do have corrections corners today. <laughs> a corner corners. I don't know how many we have, but today we have two things. So mine is um, I referenced in last week's episode about MLMs, about how there was an article on the church website, um, basically by an anti-vaxxer about not trusting therapists for mental health matters and only relying on church leaders. That's kind of what I was trying to get across, and I wanted to provide more input. So I did find my resource. Um, I still don't know how you missed it on Twitter. It was like, it was in the July Liahona. So it's very recent um, whenever it comes out. So it was in an article by uh, titled New Hope for Deeper Healing from Depression and Anxiety by Jacob Hess, PhD. So if you read through it and stuff, like he does say that there's some like allowances like with medicinal progress and surgeries and stuff, but he like definitely has more of a pull towards homeopathic efforts and everything. So it like the way he words it makes it very much sound, makes it quite apparent that he is an anti-vaxxer. I don't think he straight up says it, um, but from what I was reviewing, that was that. And then I wanted to read section seven in his thing that explained what I was pulling this from. So section seven is a point of decreasing dependence. And as mentioned in second Nephi 2.26, act for themselves and not to be acted upon. So it's the whole concept of decreasing dependence. And he wrote, it's natural for anyone facing depression or anxiety to rely on a variety of outside supports from professional therapists and family or friends to medication and food. Some unfortunately turn to illegal substances and alcohol while trying to navigate painful emotions. 
While many sources of help can provide short-term benefits, people who find longer-term healing consistently speak of a decreasing dependence on external resources. The Church's Emotional Resilience class is one resource that helps people develop that kind of growing freedom. This is one of those examples of people who are taking the scriptures and manipulating them to fit their narrative because that verse is specifically about agency and using your faith or using your agency to act for yourself and to not wait for other people to like test your faith for you or to make choices for you. Like this is, that's not, it's not what this is. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I mean, if you just glance at it, you're like, yeah, like we shouldn't have to rely on things. Like you can skim and be and not consider how serious this is, but it is very problematic and there were a ton of people on ld like mormon twitter that were talking about this and what a problem it is because if you aren't paying attention you don't, you're not seeing how he's saying don't rely on outside sources like therapists that you should only be using the church's programs to find freedom from mental illness which is not always something that you can get it's a very ableist perspective in many ways and so i did want to share one reply that I pulled from Blair Hodges. He does the Fireside podcast. It is a part of the Dialogue Podcast Network. Um, okay, so Blair Hodges wrote a response on bycommonconsent.com titled Depression, Anxiety, and the Promise of Healing. Um, I'm not going to read the whole response, but he does say this. He says that it leaves me with this conclusion from his words. If a person takes medication or utilizes therapy over a long period of time, how long, not clear, they are doing things wrong. Their ongoing dependence is evidence of the system's failures and their own gullibility at best, or their own culpability at worst. For Hess, the one who wrote the article, true freedom is achieved when I move beyond those limited modes of assistance. But what about people experiencing chronic illness or long-term emotional or mental instability? He doesn't bring them up here, which is an ableist decision. He's shown prejudice or preference for neurotypical people while excluding marginalized people. So that's the end of the quote. So that um, Blair just makes a really important point here that we do. And I, I know the church does this most of the time. We speak to the majority of people. And I get that you need to talk to the bigger to the majority, but you can't just push everyone else to the side. Even if most people are able bodied. It doesn't mean you can just completely discount those who are disabled for any reason. Like, it doesn't work that way. You have to make space for everyone. And this article does not do that. And it's it really is saying, like, you're not good enough if you have to rely on any outside resource, such as food, which is required for existing, and mental health resources like prescriptions and therapy, which, yeah, some people can just go through it for a year or so and call it good. But honestly, those things are meant for the long run to help us improve our lives and ourselves. And I, I know I could do a whole podcast about this, honestly. Um, but it's just a concern that I want to note. And if anyone was wondering what our take on that article was, now you know. I ugh, so many problems with it. Yeah. So anyways, that's my corrections corner for this week. I would say I don't know how that one slipped through the cracks at Leahona, but I know how and why, so. They're like, yeah, emotional resilience, like freedom. I will admit that like 
taking an emotional self-reliance class is an important thing to do because it does oh, definitely yeah i mean i didn't take the one in orlando but i did hear like really good things from our single peers who took the emotional self-reliance class when they were beta testing it with everyone and that it was a good way for them to figure out how to like self-soothe as adults and like you know figure things out for themselves and like make decisions for themselves but taking an emotional self-reliance class is not the answer to needing therapy or needing medication mood stabilizers anything like that that's that's not going to solve the problem yeah well the other corrections corner is i mentioned the vendor marketing pending court case um, from 2008. It did have a final decision settlement in 2011, which was very disappointing, but the case was settled outside of court and those involved received a whopping $57 each for unpaid wages. I am glad that there are, um, what are those cases? A class action lawsuits? Mm -hmm. I'm glad, but, like, it's also, like, never enough. No. Clash action lawsuits are, like, hundreds of people, and they get pennies as their settlement. If you want, like, a good case, you have to do, like, a private case and sue them on your own. And we'll hope that works. Yeah. it's it does become a lot harder in every single way to do that, unfortunately. But, yeah, so those are the things we wanted to confirm from last week's episode. We are thrilled to be new members of the Dialogue Podcast Network. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Dialogue, Dialogue is a collective of independent and interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion into all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. You can support our podcast and others in the network by subscribing at dialoguejournal.com. Subscribers receive special benefits like ad-free episodes and bonus content. You can learn more at dialoguejournal.com. So check it out. And on to a lighter uh, road that we're going down today. This week um, is LDS Movies. We wanted to do a fun and light episode um, since we do have a few heavy topics coming forward. So, and, you know, it's like a fun way to kick off the summer for everyone. So if anyone wants, gets, still gets to celebrate that these days, I mean, enjoy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and maybe kick back with a few LDS movies that we're going to discuss today. So that should be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we wanted to talk about some of the movies that like we've grown up with, that you guys have grown up with. So thank you to everyone who connected with us on Instagram. So we'll be discussing all that today. And then we also did want to like share some interesting insights about the history of LDS movies because they didn't just start in the 2000s. There were more before then. So mm-hmm. we're going to we'll start there. Let's do that. Yes. So before we get into talking about some of our favorite LDS movies, we wanted to acknowledge and share some background on when the church started rolling out movies and then share some examples of movies from back before the two of us were born. So before the 80s and 90s as well. In an article from the Church Newsroom from October 2014, it outlines the history of church-produced Mormon films. It says, quote, I hate this opening line, but I'm I didn't <laughs> write it. I'm just going to read it. Oh, goodness. It says, quote, in the horse and buggy days of the 1890s. Oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> that is terrible. I hate it. <laughs> Pioneering Mormon artist C.C.A. Christensen created detailed murals depicting events in the fledgling history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints rolled the paintings on Aspen poles, and traveled from Western settlement to settlement, sharing his portable message and defining what some term the first moving picture in the church. From that rudimentary effort to the contemporary and vast technological improvements in filmmaking, today's message could appear in virtually every pocket via cell phone, end quote. So aside from that horrible first sentence, interesting to see that it started in the 1890s, and then it just kind of grew from there. So let's go through the timeline a little bit. So the first full-length movie produced by the church was 100 Years of Mormonism, which was made in 1913 and chronicled the events of the church from 1805, which is the birth year of Joseph Smith, to that year, 1913. The article states, quote, This project influenced Salt Lake City brothers Sherl and Chet Clausen to film current events and activities related to the church and its leaders until a 1929 fire destroyed their studio and claimed the life of Sherl. Much of their documentary film work was also lost in the fire, but a portion of their effort was retained and provides a timely view of church events, including the first filming of a general conference. The years of the Great Depression slowed the progress of filmmaking in the church. By 1935, future church president Gordon B. Hinckley was invited to serve on the newly formed Radio Publicity and Mission Literature Committee and was charged with the task of creating a series of film strips to be utilized in the missionary efforts of the church. Each film strip was hand-tinted as the color reproductions of the time were deemed unsatisfactory, end quote. I mean, yes, it makes sense because if you remember, The Wizard of Oz was one of the first movies to go from black and white to color, and that was 1939. So, good times. Also, I didn't realize how old President Hinckley was to have been like an adult in 1935. Yeah, he was around for a very long time and like in the church leadership. And for a very long time. I don't know why, like, yeah. that didn't compute with me, because I knew he was old when he was uh-huh. prophet, obviously, but, like, he was an <laughs> yeah. adult in 1935. You don't think about, like, hearing from them until, like, they're at least 70. Um, So then it's like you get, like, 20-ish years maybe out of them. But, yeah, usually, especially now, it's a whole career thing for these men. He was a straight up adult in 1935 and then president of the church 60 years later. So crazy. I mean more than 60 years later because he was still president of the church <laughs> in the 2000s. That's true. Yeah. That's old. Yeah, really. mm-hmm. Anyways, okay, sorry. I'm sorry I detoured here. <laughs> Okay, so because of this committee that President Hinckley was on, the church's efforts to create gospel-centered media that could be shared with members and to help attract visitors was expanded. In 1948, an employee of Walt Disney Studios in California, Wetzel O. Whitaker, produced instructional films for the church's welfare program. In that same year, the first Church Visitor Center movie was screened at Temple Square Visitor Center, and that set the standard for media format for the now 15 visitor centers at church historic sites operating today. Then we can fast forward to 1953, and the BYU Motion Picture Studio was built and operational. Whitaker was called to head this studio and to continue producing church films. The article states, quote, 
During Whitaker's tenure, church films became central to Mormon culture and created a universal, doctrinal, cultural, and aesthetic touchstone for Latter-day Saints to the point that today it is difficult to conceive the church without its films and videos, end quote. Which, I mean, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, when you... When you think of LDS movies, there is a vibe that you immediately think of. Mm-hmm. It's adapted through time, but it's never really changed at the same time. Yeah. Well, I have some videos that we can discuss <gasps> from the church that started in the 1960s. So according to the article, it explains that this wave with the BYU production studio or the BYU motion picture studio, this led to videos that were produced in the 1960s to define the church's ability to spread the gospel message through films. The first one was Windows of Heaven, which is a film about the trials of early pioneers that teaches the principle of tithing. And then Man's Search for Happiness, which is about a man who explores questions like, who am I? Where did I come from? And where am I going? And I remember this video specifically. I've seen that one a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. Apparently, that was one of my dad's like favorite church movies. It's like what helped push him to getting like baptized oh. in the 80s. And then in the 1970s, movies like Johnny Lingo, I'm literally reading straight from the article. It said, it's about a man using cultural customs to teach self-worth. In case you don't remember it, it's Johnny Lingo is trying to find a wife and he picks Mahana, who is the ugliest woman in the village. And he spends eight cows to buy her and no one ever, you know, is bought for more than four cows or something. Eight cows is just absurd. And as he lives with her after they're married, she becomes like this beautiful, like, glamazon. She blossoms. And everyone is like, how did that happen? And he's like, well, I, I've always thought she was beautiful. It's just that she needed to see that she was beautiful. And it's a great movie. You should yeah. watch it. Well, then it ends, like, it kind of, like, ends with, like, the father, like, he's worth more than eight cows now, like, yeah. he to me. You're like, dude. I know. You were, you could have been better, you know? Yeah. All right. And then the, the other movie in the 70s that, like, really blew up was called The Lost Manuscript, which is a story recounting Joseph Smith losing the 116 pages. All of this... Leads up to the 1980s, honey, yes. with classics like Mr. Kruger's Christmas, starring Jimmy Stewart. Wait. Yes, the Jimmy Stewart of Harvey and It's a Wonderful I mean, Life fame sense. and all of that. Apparently, it was like a dream of his to be in something with like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. At least that's what the Stop. article said. So like he was all about being in this movie. Oh my gosh, yeah. what? Yeah true story and then of course we have like the classic seminary videos all of them yeah those are those are iconic with janice cat Perry music playing in the background it doesn't get any better than that oh i forgot about that then the movie how rare a possession which was about the book of mormon from there we have the 90s and the 2000s and we had more classics made, such as The Mountain of the Lord, which was made to commemorate the centennial of the Salt Lake Temple, as well as Legacy, which was a pioneer history movie. And then the first, Joseph Smith, the Prophet of the Restoration. And then another one came out in 2005, which was also titled Joseph Smith, the Prophet of the Restoration. <laughs> 
Of course, why not? (laughs) (laughs) The first one focused primarily on the first vision, and that came out in 2002. Mm -hmm. And the second one focused on his whole life. That's the one that has, like, that one guy that plays Peter in the Bible videos. Okay. Yeah, you'll know when you see it. Just look it up. Okay. I mean, I have seen a ton of church movies. Okay, I grew up in the church and everything. They just kind of, like, blur together. Yeah. Once you've seen one Joseph Smith movie, it's really hard to, like, separate them. Okay. Since then, we have had so many different church movies. Um, and we've even had like different campaign type of movies, which I'm calling them campaign movies because they're like the I'm a Mormon campaign movies or the Life of Christ campaign movies or like a lot of those. the Book of Mormon movies that are at least two of them are available on the church website. And then like we had Meet the Mormons, which was huge, but that was also like a campaign type of video because it went hand in hand with the like I'm a Mormon videos. Yeah. So all of that that we've just covered just covers the movies that were produced and created by the church itself. Beyond that, we have easily hundreds of movies that are created by church-related or church-adjacent companies, such as Hailstorm Entertainment, Excel Entertainment, Bonneville International, Deseret Book Company, Zion Films, and more. There are so many more. That's a ton. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. My goodness. Just wait. It gets crazier. What? What? How? <laughs> So bring it in. I'm listening. Wikipedia has a great summary of Mormon movies and a timeline of what they call, quote, the birth of modern Mormon cinema, 2000 to 2006. I am not kidding. This is real (laughs) life. It says, quote, in more recent decades, Mormon made and themed films produced neither by the church nor by big Hollywood film studios have garnered recognition among LDS audiences. The Mormon cinema movement began in 2000 when director Richard Dutcher realized the potential for a Mormon niche within the film industry and commercially released God's Army, a movie depicting LDS missionaries in Los Angeles. He wanted to improve the way Mormon characters were portrayed on screen. The film, which was produced on a budget of $300,000, grossed upwards of $2.5 million at the box office. It earned Dutcher the title of the father of modern LDS cinema, and it marked a major shift in the subgenre. It was not the first widely known Mormon film, but it demonstrated the viability of such a film achieving relative commercial success, end quote. Following this movie's success, Kurt Hale and Dave Hunter founded Hailstorm Entertainment in 2001, and they started by creating slapstick comedies with Mormon-centric humor, such as The RM, The Singles Ward, The Home Teachers, Baptists at Our Barbecue, Sons of Provo, Mobsters and Mormons, and Church Ball. As the 2000s went on, some filmmakers attempted at casting a wider net of appeal, hoping for a national audience with movies like The Other Side of Heaven, Pride and Prejudice, a Latter-day Comedy, Saints and Soldiers, Napoleon Dynamite, and The Work and the Glory. Yes! Some of these movies did have a great national audience, like Napoleon Dynamite, which grossed $46.1 million nationwide, but most stayed below $5 million nationwide, like The Other Side of Heaven, which grossed $4.8 million. Pride and Prejudice? (laughs) The Pride and Prejudice movie only grossed $300,000. $300,000. Like just over $300,000. Yeah. It's that went into theaters. 
I don't know. I just know that that I looked up like how much it grossed and that it was mm. sad. So, oh my gosh. And that brings us to like where we are now, which there have been screenings randomly of church movies. Like Kaylee just mentioned that one Emma Smith movie. They've done screenings of I Am Green Flake this year. I know they did 17 miracles when I went on my mission. So like there have been a lot. There have been. That is a very interesting thing. And that's not even including like our scripture, like Book of Mormon cartoons. No. Because we had all those VHSs. (laughs) Yeah. All of them. And I was allowed to like watch like two a Sunday. We were only allowed to watch Sunday appropriate movies, which meant only like Mormon movies. So we had a ton of these. Nice. Gosh. Okay, so now that we've covered the history and timeline of church-made movies and member-made movies, let's talk about what everybody liked the most. So we did put up two questions on our Instagram story to survey everyone um, if you grew up watching Mormon movies and, like, which ones were your favorite. So some of you hadn't watched them as they didn't come out until you were an adult with children of your own, which is totally fine. We kind of do want to, like, you know, convince you to give a few... Give a few of them a chance, you know, just <laughs> just for the experience. Yeah. Um, and some of you guys haven't watched any at all, which I just don't super understand. Um, but you might be better off for it. It could be people that joined the church later in life. So, like, they didn't get swept up in the craze of the, like, 2000s. That's true. I, I just feel like if you were, like, a recent convert, though, I mean, it's maybe just, it's just because of the people I grew up around. They'd be like, oh, you're a recent convert. Then you haven't seen this amazing movie called Pride and Prejudice. And they're going to, like, make you watch it. If I... Actually, I can say this very strongly. I have never shown any of these movies to a new convert because I don't want them to think that we're crazy, (laughs) even though we are. I have only shown this to other members of the church. Although I did find out that my one friend from Florida, who is not a member of the church, watches the LDS Pride and Prejudice every year. No way. Yes. She'll do she'll do like a a full like Pride and Prejudice weekend where she'll just watch every adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. I understand. And that's like the first one she starts with every year. (laughs) And I was blown away. I just learned that a couple months ago. Oh my gosh. I I love that for her. I've done I've done those watches before. I've watched all the versions, so I'll watch that one. I'll watch Bride and Prejudice. I'll watch, you know, the whole miniseries, Kira Knightley, I mean, 20, yeah. 2005. But I would so. never expect a not-Mormon person to be like, oh, yeah, I watch the Pride and Prejudice movie every year. Like, I would never oh guess that. I mean, it's not super appealing either way, <laughs> but... <laughs> We're going to get I so know. much hate from <laughs> We are. That's okay. <laughs> So, okay, so a lot of you guys haven't seen them, but some of you guys definitely said yes. Like, they've outlined your childhood and were the foundation of your lives. They were a staple in your homes growing up. I get that. That was my life. We would fight over which ones we would get to watch on Sunday nights. Yes, okay, so some of the favorites that you guys mentioned were The Best Two Years. Mm-hmm. Yes, we bought that when, like, it came out. We were like, yes, we're so excited, and we've watched it so many times. Same. Who did Doc move for that? <laughs> Manier? Margaret Uvandag. Good Yes. There's also the singles war. 
That one, oh my gosh. Yeah. I well I have I don't think I've watched that since I even went into a singles ward. Oh my gosh. So I know I just I didn't have access to it in college or anything and I haven't like wanted to watch it with my family since. But like I just remember like looking up and I'm like looking up to those that movie to those people like, oh my gosh, that's gonna be me someday. Like that's gonna be so crazy. They're so old. And I'm just like, I'm almost out of the single sword. I can't wait to be out of it. Just Okay. So I wa- that was my favorite for the longest yeah. time. Oh god. I loved it. And my sister, when she went to college and came back, she would not watch it. She was like, <laughs> it's too accurate. Oh, no. And I was like, I don't believe you. And then I went to college and I was like, well, it's not very, it's not 100% accurate to like college singles ward. So maybe when I'm not in a university singles ward, I'll get it. Uh-huh. And I forgot about it for years. And then when I was in our singles ward in Florida. Oh, no. Yep. Oh, my gosh. It hurt how accurate it was. I was watching it in my apartment one day and I was like, oh, I know who that person is. I know who that person is. I know who that person is. And I could just character assign to every single person in our singles ward. And it was painful. I was like, I hate how accurate this is. Oh, so you need to watch it. <laughs> I guess I will. Um, yeah, no, I just, I just remember awkward points at some dance that they were at, which was like my experience growing up. Every dance was awkward. So I was like, okay, this is just, this is great. This stays forever. Is the spirit telling you what it's telling me? Yeah. Get the hence. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your tribe? (laughs) Oh no. Oh my God. (laughs) Terrible. (sighs) Oh. No, oh, no, my the main thing I remember is when Kirby's character gets his mission call to Idaho. I just remembered that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And when yes. he goes to buy a camera, he's like, Oh, I'm trying to buy a I'm buying a camera. It's for my mission. Oh, where are you going? Boise. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, okay that's so embarrassing oh my gosh i so that one then yes the pride and prejudice which i mean honestly i give it so much garbage but that is one of the ones i will rewatch. i love it <laughs> i love it's it fun. it's terrible it's so bad but it's a good one <laughs> one night she had to sleep inside a real buffalo a real, a real buffalo <laughs> <laughs> That line makes me laugh every time I see it. It shouldn't. I've watched this movie for literally 20 years. It should not make me laugh this hard. Well, it's like, (sighs) it's the funniest fact, but then you also know people who are so passionate about like Mormon stuff and like their family history and pioneer stuff. And you're just like, Oh no. It's on my family tree. See, she breaks out the cross stitch. (laughs) Oh my God. I love it. Oh my gosh. Yes. And also their outfits. Oh my gosh. Are just like so toys. So 2000s. It's so, the layering (sighs) and everything is just, it's, it's perfect. With the weird like (laughs) ruching of the sleeves, the like scrunchy cap sleeves. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hated those so much. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Next one was Mobsters and Mormons. Did you ever see that one? I don't think I've seen that one, honestly. 
I don't think we bought it, but I know I watched it at some point. It's like where this like mob family has to go into the witness protection program and they end up like surrounded by Mormons basically in the middle of Utah. Oh. Which I feel like could totally happen. Let's be real. Like that would suck for witness it, protection. It would. It would. It's like the Mormon less funny version of like um sister act or something. So, oh yeah. You know. That makes sense. Um so I mean like it was like pretty good, but it's like it's it's definitely it's still like very much a kids movie because like there's like kids undercover so they're like all like acting all tough and everything and it's like but no one's like I don't want to say no one's a good actor but like it's a long movie so <laughs> you know <laughs> you can say it it's no. our podcast you can say whatever you want um, no one knows how to no one knows how to act in Mormon movies it's fine it's fine We're wow okay you did it I'm so I proud of you it. thanks <laughs> okay and then you. You put one down that I don't know. The single second ward? Yes. They did another one? This follows the story of a girl in the singles ward. So you know how like Jonathan Jordan, I think. Yeah, Jonathan. So instead of him being the main character, it's a girl who has like gorgeous curly red hair. And I believe she ends up with Dallin. Hold on. Let me make sure. Is Dallin from the prior movie? Uh, oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. I forgot. But it's been out since 2007. You guys have no excuses. Yeah. She ends up with Dallin, the one that goes on his mission to Boise. Okay. It's really cute. I liked it. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Okay. I don't know this next one. Suits on the I Loose? I don't know that one either. Or at least not from the name. Suits on the Loose. Let's look it up. It is a 2005 religious comedy. Religious teens, Justin and Ty, break out of a desert survival camp. The youth steal a car belonging to two Mormon missionaries and don the men's clothes to avoid detection at roadblocks. Okay, I do remember this one. What? Yeah, I remember it now. Okay, however, their disguise works too well and they must maintain the charade when the police escort them to the town of New Harmony. With the real missionaries certain to arrive at any time, the town is sure to react if the discovery that Justin Ty are on the lamb. Yeah, what? I remember this one now. That's funny. Oh my gosh. Did you ever watch Even Stevens growing up on Disney Channel? I did, yeah, totally. Okay. Yes. Ty Hodges is Ren's like mortal enemy in the show. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was gonna say he looks familiar. He oh played my gosh. Larry Beal, that's what his name, his character's name was. Mm-hmm. Ren's mortal enemy. But it's it's a funny movie. It's so funny. And the two guys that they have playing like the Mormon missionaries in this are like the most socially awkward, Utah, weird, funny looking dudes that you've ever seen in your life. So like when, what's his name, Justin, the other convict shows up. In town, everyone's like, oh my gosh, like we got a cute elder finally. Like everyone's stunned. It's hilarious. Oh my gosh. I remember that going to young women all the time. <laughs> You're always on the lookout for cute, cute elders. Oh yeah. gosh. Okay, so for those who are curious, um, it is currently free on tubi.com. T U B I I use that site all the time for my horror movies. Well, he says I've already watched it. That's a lie. But I'm going to. Okay. And then I know you want to talk about this next one, Tracy. Please take it away. It is Belle and the Beast. Whoever said that was their favorite, I am here to tell you that you are wrong. That movie is terrible. I love you, but that movie is terrible. (laughs) 
whoever said that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Belle and the Beast is like an LDS retelling of Beauty and the Beast, obviously. But it makes the Stockholm Syndrome in Beauty and the Beast palatable. Basically, it's this really wealthy guy named Eric Landry who is angry all the time and rude to everyone he comes in contact with. And then this other wonderful girl named Belle who is a college student and also like works part-time and she's just nice and kind to everyone around her, of course. Of course. And her father is like a repairman at Eric's house and he accidentally knocks over a vase and breaks it and Eric threatens to call his boss and have him fired. So Belle goes over to his house that night and is like, there has to be something that I can do to make up for it, which honestly sounds like the beginning of a really bad porno, the way they phrased it. That's so, actually, yeah. Yeah, that sounds mm. bad. Anyways, um, and he's like, do you have a job? And she's like, yeah, I work part time and I go to school part time. And he's like, good. Whenever you're not working or at school, you'll be here and you'll be working for me. So he makes her his personal assistant. And he already has like a maid slash like housekeeper who he treats like garbage. And I guess she's supposed to be like the Mrs. Potts type of character. But like, I don't know how she would have survived being in that job for that long because I would have stabbed him in his sleep if I were her. Anyways, he basically yells at her for like the first 45 minutes of the movie, just treats her like garbage, degrades her, blows up on her frequently for absolutely nothing. And all this time, she's also being pursued by this toad-looking, fish-looking dude named Craig. I'm going to get you a picture of him because it's just... Yes, please do. It's... I'm like, really, her options are anger management and this dude? Like, just let her be. Oh, that's the... Okay. Yeah, I I think I watched, like, a little ad thing for this. Because he's the one I was, I was telling you earlier, who you look super familiar. Like, why? Um. Why? <laughs> so she either has anger management or she has fish face over here. Like, it's just not good either oh, way goodness. you spin it. And then halfway through the movie, he has, like, a sick day. Eric has a sick day, and she takes care of him. Boo! And he starts to have a change of heart, and she starts to, like, fall in love with him. And I'm like, so you're trying to tell me that it's my job as a woman to help a man who has absurd anger issues find his way back to being nice? Ugh. And, like, that's how I'm going to find love? I'm not okay with any of it. I hate the movie. Obviously, it ends up with them getting together, and he's supposedly a changed man, but there is no way in hell that he's fully changed. It's just... Lies. It's bad. It's anti-feminist. I hate it. That's nasty. <sighs> okay, let's just put it out. Like more Kristen movies in general are trying so hard to hear a very basic message that they don't know how to do it any other way than to be, like, slightly offensive about it. And the fact that nobody, nobody, absolutely nobody tells this dude he's being a dick ever is so unrealistic. Yeah. Like, not a single person that is around you has told you that you're a dick. I don't believe that. Someone, even a random person at the grocery store, has to have told you that you're a dick. At the very least, he's made someone cry and he'd have some kind of idea. Ugh. 
I just, I hate it. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I just checked. Um, there is this one account on TikTok, E Knowles, E-N-O-L-L-S. And this person does, they watch all these Kristen movies and give us the lowdown of them. And I have watched one on this. Oh my gosh, they're all so bad. They're terrible. I think I sent one to you that was supposed to be like... The guy that's not allowed to be in the same room as a single woman? <laughs> yes. Um, that one, and there's another one where it was like, they were trying to do like some kind of crescent version of Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't remember how they made the plot work out, but there's no way you can do that in any Christian context. Send me that video immediately. I will. I will, I will look through his profile. I it was like one of the very first ones I came across, and I have not forgotten the fact that someone tried to do that because it does no. It literally can't work. Between between <laughs> the one that you sent me of the man who literally cannot be alone in a room with a oh woman. Seriously. Between that and you, t- like, I don't know what is more far-fetched between those two. Like, a man is not allowed to be alone in a room with a woman or a Christian Fifty Shades of Grey. I, I don't. Are they like a married Christian couple and they're trying to like spice things up? Like, I don't understand. Um, Yeah, I will find out. Are they really just doing like series of intimate hugs or handshakes? I think it's handshakes. (laughs) Anything more would be way too intimate. (laughs) And one one of the times she like lifts her sleeve up to show her elbow and that's like so seductive. (laughs) He's like, you've crossed the line. That's their conflict in the movie. He's like, we're going too fast. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh yeah so oh i mean gosh. yeah and i like some of them are like easily easy to find and watch online youtube to be whatever but i'd actually watched one of the ones he had on his account and it even had um like it was definitely more i don't remember who made the movie but it was on amazon prime it was a cinderella movie it was starring the girl who did once i was a beehive one of the father figures in the show is another guy who's been in several lds movies i'm trying to think he's played a bishop um and a few other guys um kind of like dark curly hair guy with glasses and stuff kind of squarish face um tall average build that's not helpful that narrows it down to like every white man on the face of the planet (laughs) it's all of them it's all of them he plays a lawyer in one of them he plays a lawyer and a bishop in different LDS movies. I remember that much. Who has a lawyer in any of those movies? I don't know. Keep talking. I'm going to look things up and see if I can figure it out. Okay, cool. Anyways, I just remember because I remember being like, I watched this one Sunday when I was like, I want to watch some kind of church movie. I just don't own any. And I managed to find this one and I didn't think it was super Mormon, but like it definitely, it's, it's straight up as a Christian movie. They don't talk about church too much. But it is a whole thing where she has to like go live like with her extended family because her parents die. And it ends up being where she meets, she actually like starts talking with the guy after he runs over her cat, who is like the last gift from her parents before they died. And like they build a relationship after that. Okay, I found the movie. It is called Not Cinderella's Type. And the guy that you're thinking about is Scott Christopher. Scott Christopher. Who 
has been in classics like the singles ward where he played one of the weird dudes that shows up hey would you, we just had a ward cookout would you like some chicken that guy <laughs> and then he's also oh in <laughs> hate it that i know these things so well <laughs> it's great it's great keep him coming so in best two years where he plays kyle the investigator oh yes the american and germany no yeah they're in germany right no, they're in. Oh my gosh, Denmark. They're in Denmark. Holland. It has been years in my defense since I have watched all those movies. Oh my gosh, no, that's right, that's right. He's in Mobsters and Mormons. He's in the RM. He plays the district attorney in the RM. Yes, there you all go, right, cool. Kaylee. I had something right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, oh my gosh. that's our man. That's great. Yes. I don't remember anything about the not Cinderella type. I just, I just hadn't like realized how much like was based off the cat thing. And then E Knowles on TikTok just like points it out like over and over. And I was like, I was in tears by the time I finished the TikTok video because I was like, how did I? I clearly was not paying attention when I was watching it at all. Um, granted, on like the very slightest vein kind of thing, um, they did do something that I liked, and they addressed the issue of domestic violence um it was just like her and her extended family but like they actually like address it as a topic in the show and we're like okay like let's get you out of this household like it's not safe for you and it wasn't just like because she was like in high school she couldn't just go to college yet or marry someone um but they actually addressed the topic which i thought was kind of nice yeah oh my gosh there's so many weird christmas movies okay but we are still not done with everyone's favorites list so we will keep on going of course, we do have the aforementioned Johnny Lingo, because that is a good one. We do have Giant Among Men. I've never heard of that. I just looked it up. It is a Gordon B. Hinckley movie. It's, it says on IMDb, it says it's the first film to dramatize how President Hinckley was prepared by the Lord from his youth. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. So, like, is it a dramatization or more of a documentary, though? Dramatization. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I've i never heard of that one. And then what about Inspired Guns? I know nothing about that as well. Missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ teach two bird-brained members of the mafia who think the elders are messengers from the boss with a hidden message on the next <laughs> big job. Stop. No. Yeah. That's good stuff. Unfortunately, yeah. Okay. And then the last one was Like in the Scriptures. Um those movies because of the music there's a whole streaming service now that's called likening the scriptures where you can watch like scripture cartoon videos online someone else also said anything that was from the 80s like <laughs> any of the movies made in the 80s which i can respect as well the 80s was quite the time for film it was so. okay thank you to everyone who responded on instagram and shared this um it was Definitely a journey. Mm -hmm. um, and now let's talk a little bit more about our favorite Mormon movies. So we did distinguish uh, church made versus member made. Yeah. Okay. So like church made was Johnny Lingo. It's so a classic. You can't go it wrong a with classic. it. It's it's a good one. Um, we got the all the all of the seminary videos. Yep. Um, it just I don't think of those as much anymore. I just think of, like how outdated they are. And then I also think of the videos in the temple. Yes, those are iconic too. Every now and then I'll randomly think about that 
there's two different seminary videos that I think about regularly. One is the one where they're doing like the introduction to the Book of Mormon, where like they're in a seminary classroom and the teacher is like going over the whole Book of Mormon background and how like the different plates were used to make the Book of Mormon. And then he goes, let me just show you instead and opens up a hole in the wall and they go through (laughs) the hole and they're in this like dark, (laughs) foggy room that has like gigantic replicas of plates and they're all talking about which... Pieces of the Book of Mormon are pulled from which plates? It's wild. I think about that That's great. at least on a monthly basis. <laughs> yes. And oh then the other video that I think about is, I think it's like a two-parter where this, it might not even be a seminary video. It might be a like young women's video, but it's like this girl who is in young women's and she's like called to be the young women's president or something like the class president. And she has to start doing reactivation work. And the first person on the list is like the most popular girl in her high school. And she's like, why would she be a Mormon? Why can't I have this? She can't have everything. And she would never want to be my friend. And like, yeah, it's so like Degrassi junior high kind of vibes and dramatic. And it's so great. Goodness. Okay. So then we've also got Man's Search for Happiness. That's another church main movie. I put this one, this next one down. Um, It's called The Phone Call. Is it God calling someone? No, it is so cringe. It's on the church website. Look it up right now. Look it up right now, Kaylee. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to explain it to everyone while you look it up. It's basically a boy who's working up the courage to call a girl he likes on the phone. Oh, no. Yes. He's literally just trying to get a date with a girl that he likes, and it's a disaster. It is the greatest 80s, maybe late 70s, cringe, awkward thing you've ever seen in your life. And I encourage you all to watch it today. Good stuff. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So now our favorite member made videos. I don't have any favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I've been scarred and that's enough for me. No, I, I would like, this is a good list. Like, although, okay. So you did put Forever Strong on your list. Is this the movie... With the high school kid who's got the the beauty mark on his face. The rugby one. Yes. Yes. I don't know why you went to the beauty mark. He's got a beauty mark on his face. That's how I always (laughs) identify him. Beauty mark over the whole point of the movie, which is rugby. (laughs) Yes, it is that one. I do it by people. The person I am thinking of, everyone, is Sean Ferris. With Penn Badgley in it. Hey. That's true. And Sean Astin. Yeah. But Penn Badgley, ew. What does Penn Badgley do? Is he the one that dies? I don't remember if he dies in that movie. I knew it was like Christian inspired. I didn't know it was like member made though. Mm-hmm. One of the sayings I get said a lot in my family is practice doesn't make perfect. It's practice makes permanent, which is a strong reference made frequently and forever strong. It is. So, so I wrote down some of my favorites. Kaylee can chime in with any of hers <laughs> if she has them. Um, we've already covered most of them, but Sons of Provo is my number one favorite. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen that one. <gasps> I remember wanting to when it came out, and I was like, whoa, they're so cool. That's so awesome. And I just never got to see it. So it is the greatest <laughs> movie <laughs> oh, ever goodness. made. 
Stop. Maybe not ever made. Maybe that's too far. But it is so <laughs> funny because it's just a mockumentary. And I love it so much. It's so funny. And the music is banging in it. It's great. You can't go wrong singing. <laughs> Sweet spirit, you're so nice. You may okay. not appear it, but your soul's a pearl of great price. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's so good. It's so good. That's insane. So oh, my good. goodness. Okay. And then we already mentioned the singles ward, the RM, the best two years, Pride and Prejudice, a Latter-day comedy. Yes. I, I would put that as my favorite. Yeah. If I had any, it would be that one. Yeah. Yes. And then Forever Strong, which we've already mentioned, but very good. Those are like some of my favorites. Kaylee, you gotta you gotta share something. On what? I I, I have nothing to add there. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I did watch okay, no, here you know a good one that was like super big when it came out? The Book of Mormon. That movie. The <laughs> I love your face because it's not helpful at all in anything. But the the Book of Mormon movie from 2003, <laughs> that was a good one, okay? No, it wasn't. It was... <laughs> it, <laughs> I mean, it was terrible, yes. It was so bad, but also it was good. I hate that movie. I think we kept hoping like they'd keep making more of them, but like they didn't. But like we went to a theater, like a little a little theater. It wasn't like a normal theater, I think, when it came out. Oh my gosh! Um, and then there was that whole dramatic story about the star, um, a faith promoting story. So the star was not originally Mormon. He they found someone who wasn't Mormon to star as Nephi. Um, at least this is what I was told the entire time. So I don't have proof on this. Make a note if you want to make a note. I'll I'll have to look into this. I know it was like super cheaply made and I know they actually they did like a terrible job in a lot of ways as well because a lot of the people were like super white and I know they've been working on improving that since then um but it was fun to have a a real life version of it that I really enjoyed at the time I remember wanting to watch it a lot that's why I say that I don't know if I don't want to watch it now I don't see anything about him joining the church it could have just been a rumor the whole time yeah all i see is that he's not mormon and he's playing Nephi. that's all i see okay i will try to do some research and see if i can find anything so let's talk about our least favorite mormon movies because we haven't done that enough yet yeah we need to talk some mad crap about these movies put them on blast both church made and member made I literally just saw this. Did you just put this on your list? Was that already there? It was already there, girl. Oh my gosh. I wasn't even paying attention. I highlighted it while you were talking. (laughs) I have no excuse. (laughs) So for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, we have a Google Doc open, a shared Google Doc of our notes for the episode that we're looking at. And she mentions the Book of Mormon movie as her favorite. And I had literally typed it in the our least favorite Mormon movies and highlighted it while she was talking. <laughs> and I just kept on going. Oh my gosh. Gosh. Okay. That's really fun. So while we're there, I 100% say that the Book of Mormon movie is my least favorite mormon movie both of them that one that came out in theaters and the other one that they do with like Uh, that weird one 
that they show all the time between conference. Um, is it the one about the second, like the, sorry, not the second coming, about Christ's uh, arrival in? Yes. There? Okay, yeah, not like with the, I think it's the father going blind or yes, something? Yes, that Okay, one. yeah. Yeah, that one's been a little hard to yeah, watch sometimes. I but... hate that movie. I Is there any it. particular reason? Should we get into this? What's- One, it's very whitewashed. Two, yes. the villain, the guy that's like the villain or the leader of like the Gadianton robbers, he's trying to pull this whole like 80s rock star kind of energy. And he's just disgusting to me. You can't do it. No. Mm-hmm. Nothing works for me in that movie. Absolutely nothing works for me. I hate it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. The other one I said was Joseph Smith, the prophet of the restoration. <laughs> and I meant any iteration of yep. that movie. What? <laughs> I don't like them. Oh I God. just, I hate them. Mm-hmm. I don't like them. When I was in San Diego, I would go to the, the Mormon Battalion Center because I think they had one or two little theaters and it was mainly for converts, of course, or people visiting, wanting to learn a little bit more um, besides the basic history. And you could watch this. So that we would do that once in a while. But yeah, they definitely got to blur all together after a little while. Um, okay, then. So those are the church-made ones. Now for the member-made ones. I mean, I don't really remember Saturday's Warrior. I just feel like it has to be put on here, though. <laughs> so. I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I think I watched. I think I saw half of it when I was a kid. And then I saw a production of it when i was like five or six um like on stage and everything and i just remember like very few points but i've had i have enough of a recollection that when people like have tried to explain it to me i'm like okay yeah no i have seen that it has an interesting idea to it i just i don't need that and it's weird and it's still kind of like anti-feminist in some weird ways so like we don't need it um, okay, secondly, I next one is I don't know if you ever watched it or read the book. I have not. Um, None of them. Okay, do you know who wrote the book? No. Chris Heimerdinger wrote the book, Passage to Zarahemla. <laughs> I was going to guess Chris Heimerdinger because right? that's like the only Mormon author I can think of. Yeah, that's like the only one I could think of, but yes. I have not read this book. Um, yeah, so it's like... A much thinner. Oh wait, book. no, I have seen this book. I have this book. <laughs> yeah, the bookstore. <laughs> yes, I have seen this movie. You the watched weird, it? Like, yes, the one where like she's at like her uncle or her grandpa's like farm, and she like walks through the woods one day and she meets a Lamanite. Yeah, and goes yeah, back okay, with yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Just another take on Tennessee's Among the Nephites, basically. Um, it's too much. Yeah, I think this was supposed to be another series, and I just don't think he, like, finished them and everything. So this adventure film was directed and written by Chris Heimerdinger. So, like, he wrote the book, and then he's like, let's put it into a movie. And so that happened in 2003. Oh, wait, no, sorry. The book was published in 2003. Then the movie went into theaters 2007. Actually, sorry, just one quick note. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for Passage to Zarahemla. So while this film currently ranks 125th on the all-time high, highest gross box office for a Christian film, it comes up behind Pride and Prejudice, a Latter-day comedy, ahead of some other ones as well. So Pride and Prejudice is on there. We already talked about this next one, which is Belle and the Beast. Uh-huh. You already know why I hate it. 
It's already there. So the next one I wrote down is another one of my least favorites. It is yep. Charlie. Mm-hmm. For those of you that don't know what Charlie is, I'll read a little synopsis for you. Sam Roberts thinks he has all the answers, the purpose of life, the meaning of love, the plan for a perfect future, until Charlie walks into his life. As opposite as New York and Salt Lake, Charlie and Sam are thrown together by circumstance and repelled by differences. She's spontaneous and cynical. He's scheduled and idealistic. She's open and mischievous. He's guarded and practical. Differences lead to interest. However, as Charlie finds depth in Sam's idealism and Sam seeks the vibrance of Charlie's joie de vivre, all is not smooth in the Rockies as their relationship accelerates. Cultural differences, family issues, former loves, and life-altering challenges threaten to shake things up. And then somebody dies at the end. Um, yeah, I hate that movie. Yeah. I was so mad when I finished watching it. I'm like, how dare you do this to me? Yeah. Okay, so there's a few things I do want to note um, just in general about church movies. I did kind of like want to touch on like how interesting it is to like push Christian movies and concepts out because sometimes it almost works and most of the time it just doesn't, you know? Um, There's been some minor success with faith-based films such as The Passion of the Christ, like, everyone kind of knows about that movie with Jim Caviezel, who's gotten roped up in Mormon stuff with our uh, Operation Underground Railroad. But we'll get into that another time, because that's a whole disaster on its own. But, so, like, there, there's been that. There was that really good nativity movie that, like, went out in theaters. And I knew a lot of people talking about that who were not LDS at the time. And then now you also have, like, The Chosen on TV. Like, that's a Bible show. So that's definitely an interesting experience to have that kind of awareness to a certain extent um, out in the media. So, I mean, just as we kind of like start wrapping this up, I, I mean, I find a lot of amusement out of Mormon movies. Christian movies are extremely cringe and that's hilarious. I like to laugh about them, but it's important for us to remember that some people do take this seriously in different ways that we need to like keep in mind to make sure that they're not going crazy and doing stupid stuff. Right. So, With the whole list that we've gone through, like we definitely had a lot of repeats because we know quality when we see it. (laughs) But there's also a list on thirdhour.org that reviews the 20 best Mormon movies of all time, which we'll share that in our Instagram story so you guys can look at the list. Some of the ones that we've already mentioned are on that list because, again, we know quality when we see it. But there are others on the list that we didn't mention that, honestly, I haven't seen. So you'll have to tell us if you look at the list and have seen any of those movies, tell us what you think about them. Beyond that, I think it's just so funny how it started with that very first movie back in 1913, and we've evolved into where we are now in 2022 with so many options of church-made and church member made movies to think that the what wikipedia said the birth of modern mormon cinema really started in 2000 and blew up to where we are today and seeing all of these movies where we're represented in a way that we didn't think that we needed to be represented and it is such niche humor and niche like (laughs) yes everything that when we finally do see these things we feel seen and 
entertained and embarrassed mostly embarrassed but (laughs) entertained it's also like very helpful because not only do we feel seen we can realize that we don't always have to take ourselves super seriously Mm -hmm. um which i think is like very important so like yeah i've seen like once i was a beehive that was cute and it like helped me to like to better reflect on my time at girls camp because i did take that seriously in a lot of like really weird ways because you know puberty and growing up and everything was very difficult and girls camp was stupid in my perspective i've talked about that um <laughs> like it's it's just very insightful and then insightful opportunities for us to yeah kind of see ourselves and remember that we don't need to be super crazy about our beliefs or anything yeah and sometimes when we see those caricatures we realize you know we need to tone it down a little bit it could be a moment of self-reflection that even though these are dramatizations there's a little bit of truth in every dramatization mm-hmm. sometimes too much yeah so so, <laughs> so with that said we hope you had fun today and if you have any other mormon movies that you love or you hate or have strong feelings about either way let us know dm us get us on twitter email us if you will um anything you want get in contact with us we'd love to hear about your thoughts and talk with you about them because every time we interact with you on instagram it really entertains us it's so great seriously it makes it makes our day yeah so thanks for joining us guys we'll see you all next week Bye. bye